0: Once you retire, you can't come back. So because you're injured. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, if this don't work, I'll have this money coming in. But I got to find something else to do. I've given 12 years of my life. To this. this is what I know. Um, and law enforcement is one of those careers that it's hard to get it out your system when you leave it. That's mm-hmm. why police officers wind up coming back. They migrate back. Mm. Um, so, yeah, um, my faith in God was strong. So I really had to rely on um, It has to work
1: or it has to work? It has to work or it has to work. (sighs) Welcome to another episode of the Work and Play podcast. I'm your host Arielle, and if my voice seems a little bit down, it's because I've been playing <laughs> at the with, with Mister Damian Burris here. So we had a really good time today. I'm really excited to interview you and get into your story. My pleasure. We got to take this opportunity and make it make it count right. for right. our people. Right. Absolutely. I really Absolutely. enjoy getting to know you. So without further ado, would you please take it away and introduce yourself? How do you how do you introduce yourself on a regular basis? <laughs>
0: I'm Damien Burris, honestly. Honestly. Damien Burris.
1: How humble.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for real. Um, Now, when I get into spaces where, you know, like networking, I'll say, hey, what I do. But it's usually I'm Damien Burris, I'm in real estate.
1: Got you. Okay, so you're in real estate. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I have gravitated towards Mm -hmm. is um, a lot of your sermons shall we say right <laughs> so since we've gotten a chance to meet through like just content creation boot camp mm-hmm. and like in different circles you have been constantly pouring into our community from a um financial literacy perspective right. all while you're doing your own business on the on the side mm-hmm. and i think that's what a lot of us um you know Aspiring entrepreneurs, you know aspire to do continue right. to run their business and pour into our community mm-hmm. So you also do that So how right. about you introduce yourself a little bit from from the aspect of your purpose and, and how you've recognized it? So far sure. and why it is that you go out and share your fina- your financial literacy mm-hmm. and even life Literacy right. tips right. like what is it that drives you to do that?
0: So yeah, um, so I started this company in 2017 called my pulpit is different And it's simply... Um, I was raised in the church and I believe um, that all of us have a gift to minister or an assignment to minister. Um, but sometimes in a religious platform, we think that means I have to have a clergy cross around my neck and I have to be on a raised, elevated platform to do that. Mm. So my pulpit is different, allows you to be able to do it on a podcast, in a grocery store, in the barbershop, wherever you are, um, because I think the ministry of helping people is what Christ exemplified and it's what we're commanded to do.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I understand. I had a friend of mine who literally, like, figuratively and literally was kind of called to go mm-hmm. minister and he didn't necessarily want to take that call. And so I, I know a lot of people resonate with right. like having to see someone still share the word mm-hmm. and um, be an evangelist, so right, to speak, right. but not necessarily look like the traditional, um, you know, biblical sense of like what a pastor or a minister would look Absolutely. like. So when did you get? the inclination that you had a word to share uh wow um
0: i would have to say around the end of 2016 the start of 2017 mm-hmm. i was on a live one day and i i, I blurted it out i said well because my pulpit is different when i got off live um one of my staff called me she said do you realize what you said and i was like no she was like my pulpit is different that sums up what we need to be doing and um it just kind of hit from there. Um, so that's when I realized, um, that I had something, I call it help H-E-L-P honoring every level of people. Mm. So from indigent to millionaire, to whomever you are, um, I think there's something that I offer to everybody. Um, so yeah.
1: And so from that moment on, you created an entire business and spoke your, spoke your truth. Right. Now, anyone looking at you just meeting you off the top Mm -hmm. it's like oh my god like you're this this big energy personality Mm -hmm. and you have wisdom to drop no matter who you speak to and you're very humble by the way like super (laughs) humble but if you guys get a chance to like meet this man it's it's like larger than life like energy Mm -hmm. great great um when you have the mic you know exactly what to do with it but you also like are very humble in like spirit. Yeah. So like, let's take it all the way back, right? Okay. Like sure. all the way back your journey. When you were growing up, it, because a lot of times people get the, the calling mm-hmm. very, very, very early. Like we right. already know, oh, that boy's gonna be a pastor, Go right? Ahead. And then right. we groom them mm-hmm. early on. Were you the type of kid who was like groomed to like speak to others? What type of kid were you?
0: No, I was an introvert. I still am, honestly. Um, what I was was a giver. Mm. My mom said she remember, you remember the donuts that they come in like six in a row, they're powdered yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. So I, it was five of my friends and we were outside and I walked outside with donuts. And I, she said, I opened it and I started passing them out to everybody until I had none left. And I turned around and saw her, I don't have any more donuts. She said, that's okay. I got another pack for you. Most kids don't share like that.
2: Mm.
0: They have to, you know, be told you need to share that. Yeah. Right. And then they begrudgingly give it. But she said from the time I was four or five years old, I was a giver. Um, so I think that is where my grooming probably came from. or what you can say at an early age, I did without having to be told.
1: Got you. So early on you were, your mom spotted this Mm -hmm. in you. And then when it comes to like, you know, childbearing, a lot of times we're raised to be a certain thing from that point. Were you like, was that part of you cultivated in a specific way? Or like, what was it like for you growing up when it comes to like the way you were raised? Were they like, Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna be like, he's a caring kid. So we're going to make him like, I can't even imagine like what what your mom might say like let's get you into but like was there any intentional development in like any specific skill set in yours?
0: No, no, I had a rough childhood. Mm-hmm. Had a rough childhood. Um. So it was more so I think that was a God giving instinct that was placed inside of me for who what I am and what I do now. Um, but no, there was nothing that I was into. Um, my mom had me from a married man, so she had me at 19 years old. So it was more survival and trying to understand how to get through life. Um, her being young, fresh out of high school, um, having a child, it was more so surviving. Um, and I think um just a lot of experiences in life just kind of over time cultivated who and what I am now.
1: Mm. As a person growing up, you said a a rough childhood Mm -hmm. and learning that you're a giver. Did you learn that that was that one of the skills that kind of helped you through your childhood? Cause oftentimes when I have conversations with people who have like experienced like a rough childhood in in any form, Mm -hmm. whether they were bullied, they lived in the hood, Mm -hmm. the good part about them that they learn, like I'm a good, I'm a giver. Mm -hmm. They're like, okay, well, I'm going to learn how to give to the bully so that the bully don't beat me up. Or I'm going to learn how to give here so right. that I know I can get free food, whatever it mm-hmm. is. What did you know how to use leverage that skill for your good, even though you say you grew up in a struggle?
0: Um, No, no. Mm. I talked too much as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always got in trouble for that. Um, but I didn't know how to leverage it until recently. Now, it was wow. I wasn't. I wasn't in tune to what I do now, probably, honestly, Mm. until about 26.
1: Got
2: you.
0: Yeah. Um, Everything was just trying to survive, trying to understand and learn how or what was happening. I had a lot of why questions. Why did we have to be born poor? Why don't I know my father? Why do I see my mom struggling? Why this? Why do we move so much? So I had a lot of questions of why. So a lot of normal childhood stuff that I wouldn't. You would see a kid normally go through. Mm-hmm. I didn't go through because I had so many questions of why. However, um, I do now understand why that happens. I didn't get the why until later.
1: Isn't that uh, always how it mm-hmm, works? Mm-hmm. It's uh, for me, like, there's some things that I'm still like, ah, mm-hmm. but what I realize is, um, while we characterize our childhood with like the, the things that we didn't know. Mm-hmm. And of course the struggle, you wouldn't be here if it weren't for a certain mindset. All so right. for you growing up, what was that? If you can look back at it, right? Like mm-hmm. hindsight is twenty twenty. What was that thing that kept you making decisions to move forward in a productive direction?
0: My mom was crazy. That's the first thing. Gotcha. Um, And my religious upbringing, my spiritual upbringing, Mm -hmm. played a major part um, in why I didn't gravitate to the streets or why I didn't gravitate to certain things. Mm -hmm. She ruled with the Iron Fist, um, and I was in church too much to do anything. Um, So... um, but yeah, so that was, that was, if I can honestly say that was it, um, gotcha. she just, yeah, she just ruled and yeah, she was crazy.
1: So even though you were surviving, mom still provided that structure Absolutely. and that discipline.
0: Absolutely. She so, did not play.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now we're understanding like a little bit about like how you made your decisions. Mm-hmm. What, what was it that interested you? Mm-hmm. Um, well, what? At the at this age, mm-hmm. what were you more so interested in, like actively interested in? Because
0: I started playing piano at five. Oh,
1: yeah, for those of you guys who don't know, there's a piano in here. When when you came in here, you know, you sat down, and a lot of times right. I, I like if you take to the piano, mm-hmm. I'll come over and I'll sing right. a little something, something, you know. But yeah. obviously, I, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't hear you like tickle yeah. the keys a little bit, right, right. So you right. have that that musical bone in you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you grow up, church is the epic center for black people. Mm -hmm. Um, So growing up, you either preached, sing or played.
2: Yeah.
0: Or, you know, or remember, of course. But the duties in that time frame and as a kid um, still today, one of the largest attractions to young people is instruments in the church. Mm -hmm. Um, So I fell into that category where I was interested in the music and the instruments of the church. So. um, So, yeah um started playing piano at five um so i was interested in music you know all my life and still love it to this day mm-hmm.
1: were there ever conversations where you were like potentially gonna be a pastor or did you ever get like youth you know how like people do like youth sermons and they're like okay go on baby
0: um no singing was what i did always my dad's a singer um and my mom's out of the family are singers um but um i uh i preached at the age of 25. really Mm -hmm.
1: how were you called to do that
0: um it was something that i always knew that i would do after a certain time frame it wasn't like five or six but yeah um it was there was instilled my mom instill the word in me. I knew the word more than I knew the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, so it was yeah. just something that was ingrained um, in me. Um, so, yeah.
1: So you're 26 years old. Mm-hmm. You've been raised to be in the church. Mm-hmm. You have this giving bone in your body and mm-hmm. you're musically inclined. Mm-hmm. You're asked to give a sermon. Mm-hmm. And what was your sermon about?
0: Uh, my initial sermon, I preached uh, from Job um, and it was entitled Life After the Splash.
1: Life after the splash. Right. Please break it down
0: for me. Um, Of course, in the Bible, you know, Job had an assignment. Um, He was called to give order to the people of Nineveh, um, the people that had actually killed his ancestors. And God told him to go to Nineveh to give a word. Um, He got reluctant about it because he knew God was forgiving. And he said, if I give this word of destruction, you're just going to forgive them and still bring them out. So I don't like them because they killed my people. So I'm not going to tell this. I'm going to get on a boat, go to Tarshish and the ship, uh, the storm came and all that good stuff. And they had to throw him out. Throw him overboard. God created a a fish. Had Jonah in the belly of the fish for three days. The things tied around his neck that was in the fish. And finally, after the struggle, um, we ice a jeep. He spit him out on dry land. After... Uh, Jonah got up, he ran and did the job for God. So it was about life after the splash, after you're tired of running from God, after you're tired of being disobedient, there's still an assignment for you to do. So that's what I preached at 26.
1: I love, so here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not as, as a religious, right. but I love the story of Job. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, one of the things that I love about that story so much is like when he got onto the boat, trying to run away from his assignment. Right you know everybody on the boat is like the only thing you gotta go you (laughs) You are ruining this uh this um um experience for us Mm -hmm. so we're gonna have to let you go and what it really taught me was sometimes you have to like throw off the people who are like you know messing up your energy Mm -hmm. right who are literally causing wreaking havoc in your life you gotta throw the job off you got to And then also, when you finally take the Mm heed and listen to, like, the calling, Mm -hmm. then you start to see that everything is in alignment. Right. So I really love that. Yeah, yeah. For you, you're 26 years old, though. Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know if I had my Job moment until I was a little bit older. What was your Job moment?
0: That initial sermon, because I ran for a long time. I knew eight years prior to that that I was supposed to do it, but I ran and didn't want to do it and didn't want to do it
1: got you Mm -hmm. are you now like fulfilling this um you know like preaching from the pulpit Mm -hmm. is it now a relief that you get a chance to do it in this way or do you feel like
0: um yeah um it is I, i don't i don't necessarily do it as much from the pulpit as i do from the pulpit being everyday life yeah um but yeah it's it's an incredible relief i believe that i'm absolutely doing exactly what i was created to do
1: yeah and you do it really well thank you absolutely so let's get into a little bit like the career so you were 26
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and um you were preaching from the pulpit Mm -hmm. like the literal pulpit right What was like your decision of like getting a job? When was the first job you ever had? Wow,
0: I was 15 years old. You've
1: been working since 15?
0: Since 15. So when you're in a single parent home and you're a son, Mm -hmm. naturally you want to help mom take care of the bills. Mm -hmm. Um, So my first job was food line. Um, I was a bag boy. Um, And you know, bag boys, we stock, we mop, we bag grocery, you know, we take uh, buggies in and out. So I did all that at 15.
1: Got you. Mm-hmm. Did all that at 15. So working through high school. Working through high school. When, would you say like you were bringing in, um, um, what's the word, sufficient income to like pay the bills? Or were you just kind of supplementing, you know, mom's, mom's bills? Do you feel like you had to like take the lead in the household?
0: Uh, that coupled with um, child support.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: those were two entities. Yeah. Um, I actually flunked out of high school. I didn't graduate. I had to go to um, adult ed because my last year, I was such a great worker. I was, and I might get food line in trouble. I was working till 1 o'clock in the morning and then getting home by maybe one forty-five. I had school in my first class. My 12th grade year was English, so yeah. I slept because I was tired
1: Mm. so I think you would be fine a child I was different now
0: (laughs) so I felt and I was I was upset I fell with a 69.4 so six-tenth of a point you couldn't so yeah um so I had to go to summer school and um wound up completing that and got my GED um yeah
1: when you think about like the education that you got what subject did you apply yourself most to lunch I'm,
0: (laughs) I'm kidding (laughs) <laughs> uh honestly chorus gt say it again course
1: course gt mm-hmm. course yeah you got a little voice on you too <laughs> listen yeah, we could have had a whole karaoke session <laughs> i'm all horse and right, things but right, we could have had a whole right. duet yeah, okay yeah. so they're hidden talents in there is that what mm-hmm. you're telling me absolutely Okay, I got you. Yeah, I got you. We're okay, a church boy. So yeah, chorus. Multitalented. Right, right, Multitalented. Okay, so for you, it was chorus. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I'm really trying to understand, like, how did you decide you were gonna like? What was your first job, or like, how did you decide what you were gonna do for life? Because as of right now, a lot of your story is about like necessity.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, religion and spirituality is a necessity for the black community. Right. And then you have your food line, and I'm sure Mm -hmm. you've had other jobs, you know, for necessity.
0: Plenty of jobs in between. My first real job, um, my mom, I've always seen my mom work plant life. Plant Life was big in South Carolina, like Mm. manufacturing plants, which is what she begged me not to go into. Um, And that was my first year of job. I worked for a company called Sopaco. They packaged the army food, uh, the MREs. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have, that was the good job. I was the cleaner, I was on the cleanup crew. So I wore uh, fishing boots, a leather apron and a hairnet. And I had a water hose that was like 120 degrees. You had gloves on and you had to clean the pots and sterilize the pots and all the parts that they use to cook the food in. There were pots in here that wouldn't even fit in this room because they was putting out so much product right. for the military, right? So I was in charge of disinfecting and cleaning that because it was a 24-hour plan. Well. They were shut down for four hours Mm -hmm. we had to clean the entire plant wash all the dishes and then the first and the second shift would just repeat Mm -hmm. so that's that was my first real job um and um yeah and that summer i realized i can't do this got you yeah i can't do this for the rest of my life
1: what was the worst part about that
0: um going home drinks every night swords on your hand for holding 120 degree
1: mm-hmm.
0: water hose and mm-hmm. just looking like i worked at a wharf yeah yeah
1: i remember when i like a lot of times when we are in those like manual labor type jobs mm-hmm. The goal is to like go work in AC. Yes. To work at somebody's computer. Got
0: yeah, QA QC quality control. Like upstairs, they they held the package up. It looks good, and then they write off on the whole package. And you know, you'm like, yeah, that's the perfect job. Yeah.
1: yeah. So in this moment, and and I know we talk we talk about career transitions and life transitions all the time but I'm I'm really big on running towards something rather rather running like from something. Mm -hmm. So while you realize like this manual labor, like the way that it's treating your body is Mm -hmm. not working, what are you saying to yourself? I want to do next. Or are you just like, I can't do this anymore.
0: I've always had a desire um, to be in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad was in law enforcement. My brother was in law enforcement. Um, So that was always something that looked very enticing to me, Um, seeing my dad in uniform, seeing my brother in uniform, carrying a gun. That just looked like something I wanted to do. Um, So after that, I enrolled in a community college and started studying criminal justice Okay. and um, was tutoring math um, and as a work study um, to have money doing, you know, the... um, the uh, college time, which I didn't stay on campus, it was just a work study that, you know, I was go off campus and go to the elementary school and tutor. Um, read books to it, do all that. And then um the major of the sheriff's office, him and my dad worked the prison together. So I went to him and, you know, told him what I was doing. He said, come by the office tomorrow. So um I got hired on as a corrections officer and did that for eight months and then got hired on as a police officer.
1: So you did eight months. Mm -hmm. Okay, got you. So you it wasn't that long, but
2: Mm
1: -hmm. oh, and corrections is you were were you in the prison or were you like okay, got you? Because I was thinking probation at first. Mm -hmm. County jail. County jail. Got you. Because
0: in most places, the sheriff runs the county jail as well.
1: I got you. Mm -hmm. Okay, what was that like to be a black man? You know what I mean? In On a, the other
0: side of the bar. Though.
1: Absolutely.
0: It was different. That's what my dad did. My dad did actually prison corrections for twenty seven years. Um, so yeah, it was it was different. Um it, very different behind the bars. Um, you, you kinda don't get respected because you're you're the uncle Tom. Mm-hmm. So, um but yeah, it was different. Um but I was grateful every day because, mm-hmm. you know, after the twelve hours I got a chance to go home.
1: I feel you. Yeah. I feel you. The top three responses that I get when I ask, why do you want to leave corporate America? Are that you want financial freedom, you want to own your own time, And you want to build a legacy for this generation and generations to come. Now, this is not a solo job. In order to transition from your 9 to 5 into entrepreneurship, it's going to take community and it's going to take resources. And I've created the community of pioneers who are going to wrap around you and help you make that transition successfully. So if you're interested in leaving your job, go ahead and click that information below. Let's get into the community and let's transition from your 9 to 5 into entrepreneurship successfully. Now let's get back to the episode. Did you feel like you were an Uncle Tom? to some degree
0: yeah. yeah because because i mean when you when you are there in it it's like you know i really have to govern my people or you know not be harsh but stick to the rules mm-hmm. um so yeah when i first got there but you later learn that that's just tactic for them to get what they want, and you start bringing stuff in you shouldn't be bringing in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I quickly learned that I wasn't. <laughs> just got it right. Yeah, yeah. I quickly learned that I wasn't Uncle Tom. Yeah, it was just decisions that they made.
1: You quickly learned that you weren't an Uncle Tom, and mm-hmm. it was the decisions that they made that mm-hmm. put them there. Right. I feel you on that. And um, one of the things that I was thinking about is your purpose as we see it now mm-hmm. is like changing people's lives sure. and, and like giving a word in a way that we can receive it as millennials. Mm-hmm. Would you say millennials is essentially your like, you know, target? Absolutely. And I think that the way you talk about the Bible and the way you talk about education really hits at any point as a correction officer, mm-hmm. did you feel like I can help them?
0: Um, As a correction officer, no, because it was short-lived. It was eight eight months. months. No, I was trying to get in and get out. Um, What I was was there's three words that they teach you in corrections, firm, fair, and consistent. Mm. And those are the the people that the inmates and the convicts respect. So when you're firm, fair, and consistent, um, if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. Um, You know, so I think that was... Even though they're locked up, something my police chief says, you have the right to take somebody's freedom, but not their dignity. Um, so I, that always stuck with me.
1: You have the right to take someone's freedom, but not their dignity. Right. That's such a big thing to unpack.
0: It is. It really is.
1: So you eight months in, um, in corrections, but that mentality kind of goes into like the police um, Mm -hmm. force, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Because we're an extension of that law too.
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I never heard it put that way. Like you have the right to take someone's freedom, but not their dignity. Mm -hmm. And the dignity part sounds very humanistic, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, yeah, like, you know. right. right. But what does it do to a man who mm, believes that he has the right to take someone's freedom?
0: In the wrong hands, it can be very deadly. Um, it does. So What it do to the police officer or to the the
1: for the police officer for you, you specifically, mm-hmm. and and because that's power, right? Right, and not to be this big macro, right. This big macro like you know police and power. Mm-hmm. It's more like. For you to be um, given, like given that honor, Mm -hmm. that power Mm -hmm. um, to say, like, okay, you have the power to or the right to take someone's freedom, but Mm -hmm. not their dignity. Mm -hmm. What did that level of like authority do to your personality, due to the way that you led as a leader?
0: I always reflected back to the Constitution. It's a borrowed power. Mm -hmm. The Constitution starts with we, the people. Mm -hmm. So. The power for me to take another person's freedom was voted upon by people years ago. Mm -hmm. So the power really rests with the people. So law enforcement is really just a customer service entity. Now, if you need to go to jail, I customer servicely take you. Right. (laughs) In a clean car, air conditioned, all that good stuff. So when you look at it as we're serving the community, which is what community oriented, oriented policing is, is we're, we're serving the community we're we're partnering with you um, because we, the people have granted you the power. So I never looked at it as I have authority over you It's that this is the order. This is the way it happens. I'm not going to disrespect your dignity and you being a human, but this is what happens when you violate these laws. So I never allowed the power to go to my head.
1: Yes, I I I, I love that. I can, Selfishly, I love that you say that. Right. Um, because a lot of people do. Oh, yeah, I've seen know? it. I've seen it. And I wonder what that is in you mm-hmm. that keeps you grounded. Because I've seen it, too. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that is that keeps you grounded?
0: Um. Man, I'd, I've i been I've been in some situations where I life was less fortunate for me. So mm. what keeps me grounded is knowing that God has the ability to take everything I have away tomorrow um, is I heard it. I heard it said it's not what you want to be in life. It's who you are.
1: It's not what you want to be in life is who you are. Right. Yeah.
0: So the, your possessions and. The, all the accolades, it, it's about what's in the inside of a person um, that makes them great, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I I always want to stay grounded and humble um, because we're all representatives, I feel, of a greater power. Mm-hmm. So I can never step into his lane and, uh, and act like I just have everything. Uh, this is borrowed authority from... From biblical to authority that we vote on. So it's not my authority. I just enforce the law. And a lot of people think they become the law mm-hmm. when I'm just here to enforce what was already written. So the law is above me, honestly, in that aspect.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I, I really admire just sitting next to you is, and you telling your story, is your groundedness. Mm-hmm. Um, and because a lot of corporate professionals who watch this, um, this podcast mm-hmm. are in their transition and mm-hmm. they're trying to figure out like, you know, how do I navigate this mm-hmm. space? Corporate is, is, you know, politicy in it a is. sense that like people have like unsaid power, people have like written power and right. navigating power and help wield people who wield power. Everything is, yes. you know, all over the place. But when you're not grounded, mm-hmm. It's really easy to get caught up in, in who's got the power, how to get the power, what do you have to do to get it, and then take advantage of it, right. all of that. Right. You stayed in law enforcement for how long? Twelve years. Twelve long. Twelve years. Mm-hmm. Long. And, <laughs> Twelve long years. Long. Long. <laughs> what kept you through? Like, I would imagine one is you being grounded mm-hmm. for you to be able to stay 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, what kept you in that long? Mm-hmm. And then what was it that um, enticed you to leave for 12 after 12 years?
0: So when I got into it, I got into it to retire. Got you. So 25 years in the state of South Carolina is what you need to retire. Okay. Um, so that was my goal. Um, 25 years. And then I'll consult, um, you know, police officers or, you know, detectives when I get out. That was my end all be all goal. Mm-hmm. Um, well, retire. Um, well, after my stint with that then maybe go to some federal system like Secret Service, retire from that, and then consult. That's what I wanted to do. Um, I got injured in the line of duty. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Was and
1: it a bullet wound?
0: No, I tore my quadricep tendon.
1: You um, running out the Bad boys, bad boys. What you. Go-
0: <laughs> I fell out of a window. I fell out of a window going into to get a suspect, and right. the only way in was that window, Okay. and the only way out was that window. Got it. Because uh, the house was boarded up, and he had been sleeping in the house. We were looking for him for something he had done. Mm. And on the way down, out of the window, I came down on my knee and told my <sighs> car so So it ended my career. I ended my career.
1: It ended your career, but like, anybody would be like, yo, this is for the birds. For the birds. Would, would you, if your knee was, was here, would you have stayed?
0: Absolutely. I tell people God pushed me out of that window.
1: Oh, He
0: pushed me out of there window because I would have still been there. I, my plight was to retire and do that. And I remember my partner called me last week and he said, man, I remember you telling me, his name is Rock. He said, I told him there's something more. I just can't put my hands on it. Mm-hmm. Like, and he would tell me all the time, man, you are great at this, but this is not what you're supposed to be doing. Mm. And I always felt it. You know, I we become, we're, we settle for being great okay. over being purposed, mm. right? You can, you can do, you can do five in popularity, but you'll do 10 in purposed. And a lot of people choose popular over being purposed. And uh, I was good at it. I mean, I was a great interviewer. I love talking to people. I love getting people. I mean, it was so much to the point where my uh, upper epsilon would would place wages on me and how long it took me to go get a confession and come out. Like that's how good I was at it, but it wasn't, it was training. I tell people that was my collegiate experience for what I'm doing now. Cause I didn't go to college. Well, I went to, you know, tech school, but no.
1: I didn't realize you were an interviewer. Oh, I was a homicide detective. You were a homicide detective mm-hmm. and they put you in like you on the 48 hours, like 48 hours. Every day, every You're day. the person who's like, understanding the tactics to help someone like basically tell their truth
0: absolutely so that that gate I, what i experienced in those when well, i did that for the last six years um that was better than any public speaking i could have ever gone to because getting people to incriminate themselves and feel okay with it is now what i do now so as homicide detective you show up to death yeah you have to figure out what's happening you have to deliver some news to somebody mm-hmm. and then you have to put together some kind of um, case to help bring uh justice to the people that are still living mm-hmm. so if you take away the police jargon that's exactly what i do now mm-hmm. i show up at deadly situations where people feel like they have nothing left and then i get them to believe in that the mistakes that they made mm-hmm. Um, it's not the end all be all. Mm-hmm. And instead of putting them in prison, I put them in purpose.
1: That's exactly what I was going to say. The only difference the is only difference. that that nirvana that you feel of just getting it off your chest right. is is not going to lead you Absolutely. to go behind bars. Absolutely. So I actually do have to ask you a little <laughs> bit about that, because like it's kind of like, you know how you t- do you ever feel like I sometimes feel like if, as small as um you know, somebody who has the job to put boots on your car. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's their job. Mm -hmm. You parked in the wrong lane. You got to get the boot. And I'm like, I would hate for my job to be the boot man. Did you ever have to come to terms with the fact that you're using your gift? Mm -hmm. They feel relieved. Mm -hmm. And then you have to lock the door behind them.
0: It depends on the crime, criminal sexual conduct. Never.
1: Criminal sexual conduct, like rape,
0: more specifically to underage children. Oh, gotcha. Right. I have been in rooms where I had to side with. Remember, there was one case that I worked where. um, So, the reason why you see police officers give food, cigarettes, and those things to criminals is because. You're never going to get a confession from a person that feels bad about what they've done. Mm. So you go in and you befriend and you minimize the punishment for what they've done to get them to talk about it. Mm. So I had to go into a guy that was not really attractive, didn't have a lot of girlfriends, couldn't really get a date. And he had molested this six year old. Mm. And I told him, I understand how hard it is. You got to be this, you know, nice looking guy, this buff guy. So I understand that it was an easy target for you to go in and do this. But it's not who you are. It's the fact that the world, you didn't get dealt the right hand, genetics. You didn't have this. You went not the jockey in high school. And he broke down and told the truth. Mm. Now, I hated the fact that I had to sympathize with somebody that had just molested a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. But I would have never gotten the confession out of him if I told him you're a pos. Mm. So you have to, you know, go in. So to answer the question, sometimes, but not on those cases. Um, but sometimes I was looking at them like, please don't tell me what you're about to tell me. But they do every single time. Yeah,
1: anytime. please don't tell me <laughs> what you. And then you have the skills. so like right, you absolutely. go in like you're mm,
0: the special. Yeah.
1: Ooh, we. Yeah. <sighs> I can imagine. Do, would you say it's more freeing now that you? It's and then also um, the problems that you're setting people free from. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have moments where you're like, oh, if I was a cop, oh, I would have." Yeah. I- yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. You've been done for. But yeah, but really? they, tell, they tell you all the time: use it on your children, never your spouse.
1: Use it on your children. Never use it on your children,
0: never your spouse. So yeah, the interviewing tactic. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So it's so much to the point where so when you get to a certain level, it's called BAU behavior analysis. And the guy that I I trained under, he was so clever. When I first started interview tactics school, it's called interrogations. Um, There's something called kinesics, which is the body language. Um, So your body tells me what's happening with your mind without you speaking. Um, so he has the ability to hear tones, body language. So he told us, he said, make up a story that's truth and insert a lie and I'll figure it out. So my time came, I said, when I was younger, me and my brother had, um, got bikes for Christmas and we raced and we was trying to jump this little hill. I had just got my huffy bike and, um, we jumped this hill and I wound up bending the front of the bike. I had to get another one. He said, that story's true, but the bike wasn't a huffy. And that's exactly the lie I put in there. And I was trying to figure out how to do that. What was it? It's just tones and reflections and kinetics. So over time, I learned that aspect. But now when I see people talking to me, I can hear the lie. So you have to turn it off when you're not in police anymore.
1: That's interesting. Uh, It's funny because intuitively, as you were telling that story, I said, huffy. Right. It's funny.
0: (laughs) It sticks out when you start to think about it.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and then also like the gifts that we have Mm -hmm. you know like you had formal training to Mm -hmm. hone this gift so i'm also thinking about the purpose of you having this natural gift and having Mm -hmm. the opportunity to get this type of training to be able to spot this out for people all to be able to like help people identify whatever lie they're telling themselves
0: Mm -hmm. because the, the reason why it's so easy for us in that space is because probably the most profound thing is a lie only goes through one filter and that's the person that's telling it. So it seems right to them. But when people that hear it, like, that makes no sense. Mm. But because they convince themselves that it's true, but it mm-hmm. only goes through one filter. And that's your mind. Now, in order for a big lie to work, there has to be a lot of collusion. But yeah. when it's a simple lie, it just goes to one filter.
1: That's a fact. That's why you got to have homies on the you side. You got to
0: have homies. You know, like, If I call you and say, hey, where we was last night, you
1: already know. It.
0: That's collusion. So in order for somebody else to believe it, you got to be two people. That's yeah. a
1: fact. Yeah. So you enjoyed your career in police department. It's really only like the, you know, unfortunate um, accident of you jumping out of a, of a business of a building, <laughs> which you're doing your job. And, right. Shoot. Wow, people some people would say that's for the birds. That would not have stopped you if nah. it if it actually didn't physically stop you. Mm-hmm. So like is that when you started to get into real estate?
0: Yeah. So I had the ability to stay in, but when the doctors made me aware that they could write me out, I was like, Yeah.
1: I'm... Oh, so it really was like it's for the birds. <laughs> oh
0: yeah, no, no. I enjoy my job, but yeah when I found out I could retire
2: out
1: oh because you could still get the best of both worlds mm -hmm. your goal was to stay for 25 or 20 years 25 25 years Mm -hmm. so that you can get the retirement but when you realize I can get that in a shorter amount of time it was like oh you don't have to take another decade of this
0: I'm gonna get the same thing I was gonna get at 32 um and only work 12 years
1: Uh, Ah, I got you. I got you. Because yep. at first I was gonna say you must have left, loved the like adrenaline rush, but oh, it yes. wasn't. You didn't.
0: A, oh, absolutely, mm. absolutely. But you
1: didn't love it more than the retirement.
0: Not at that point in time because my love for law enforcement shifted. I got out in the right time. I got out in twenty sixteen. Okay. No law enforcement, law enforcement is nothing like it used to be mm. at all. Now it's just
1: how is it different?
0: Two sided. It was a brotherhood. Um, Back then, and when the guys before me I saw them, it was a brotherhood. now it's very, very um backstabbing uh, because people want to get to the top so fast, yeah. so they come in and whatever they can do to tarnish your career, tarnish your name, they're doing it.
1: You you say that um it was a brotherhood and I feel like that's some of the things that we hear about the police department mm-hmm. even now like mm-hmm. it's a brotherhood and that's why some people won't tell on each other mm-hmm. and that's why some people don't go to jail for some of the things that they do. Mm-hmm. Um especially like, you know, when it comes to like some of the crimes where it's white on black, mm-hmm. right? It's like, "Okay, well we're not going to send our like this, there's a brotherhood." Right. So but it does also make sense, you know, the new age employee who's like I want to get to the top and they start taking on some of that corporate mentality like mm-hmm. how do I shuck and drive like right. and play the system right. so that I can get the the um accolades. Mm-hmm. So like where did all of that how did all of that play out the brotherhood, right? Mm-hmm. You being a black man. Mm-hmm. Um, racism, mm-hmm. all that. How did that play out? Did you feel like you were protected in the city? What city were you a police officer in? Camden,
0: South Carolina.
1: Got you. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like you were not necessarily exposed to like all of the necessarily racism or and know. and mind you, like, I also recognize it's a brotherhood. So it's kinda like when I'm talking to a person who is in a, a frat. You're right. It's only so much you right. willing to like you're give. Right. So
0: But no, I, I can talk. Okay no i wasn't i was um i was vocal i was very vocal um with being in so i did narcotics as well so with being in that there was definitely some racist things that i saw that i was vocal about Mm. um and that um probably kept me from being promoted as quickly as i should have been because i was vocal about Mm. um but there was still a brotherhood with the people that had your six that had your back God. you know i'm i'm there are people that I'm trusting my life with if we're we're going to serve a high risk warrant on a person that we know has firearms. I'm trusting the dude that I'm going into this diamond with you got my back um
1: I love all of the Jargon, uh, six, six, yeah, six Right, but I kind of understand it. And I think right. we watched enough for right. these movies to get right.
0: Me. So <laughs> there's still a brotherhood in mm-hmm. that entity. Racism, you know, creeps its way in in different places. But man, when you you in a shootout and y'all pulling the trigger, you don't care what color they are at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to make sure you're getting home and everybody's safe. Um, But there was still a brotherhood inside of all the other stuff that was happening. But no, um, I wasn't protected. The color of my skin was still very much prevalent and they saw it. Um, But I wasn't the quiet type that would allow certain things to happen if my name had to be on the warrant or if I had to be the one to testify in court. I Mm -hmm. always kept a clean name. Mm -hmm. Um, So because once you are no longer clean, they have you for the rest of your career. Mm. And I just there wasn't enough money in the world to, to for me to do that for, um, you know, so no the, the, the cops that get killed by drug lords and those people, other people that they're, that are dirty. Gotcha. So, you know, it, you're no longer, they, that's when they call them the pigs. You're no longer, you know, a uh, representative of the law. You're just like us. You're just hiding
1: behind the badge. I understand yeah. you. The first part of your career was very, very serious. Mm-hmm. A lot of people go into real estate, you know, because it's fun and flashy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they learn some skills behind mm-hmm. it. But you you went into real estate with. Can you tell me the three again? Fair, firm, fair, consistent, firm, fair, consistent, firm, fair, consistent. Mm-hmm. What was it after you got injured, Mm -hmm. after you got your, your retirement, what Mm -hmm. was it that drew you to the real estate business?
0: My business partner, who I own the company with now, um, I just purchased my first home. And when you're home shopping, after you close, you're still home shopping because you are just in the groove of it now. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just walked into a home model home that he was sitting in and saw him, another young black guy introduce himself. And, um, Everybody that walked into the model home I knew. He was like, You would kill in real estate because you know everybody here. I was like, Yeah, I, I know them, I know their parents, I know they play football at, you know, the high school. And um he was like, Man, if I had that kind of knowledge about the community, I would kill. Mm. And, you know, we kinda of bonded. And so he was in my subdivision, so I would throw my hand up whenever I saw him. Mm. So if I didn't have a whole lot going on, I would stop in, check on him and just kinda of talk to him. He's like, you ever thought about real estate? I'm like, nah. He would constantly ask me that question. Long story short, I wound up taking the test, got in real estate, and um, yeah.
1: Easy peasy. Yeah. Now, when you left um, the police department, mm-hmm. you said it was God who pushed you out mm-hmm. the window, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, you get to be in real estate, easy peasy, I signed the, um, I passed the test and now I'm in real estate. Mm-hmm. How is your relationship with God developing in this transition? Because I I say this because like the push don't always feel like I I didn't ask you to push me.
0: (laughs) It was a faith move um, because even though I was retiring with money coming in every month, it was still only 54 percent of my salary. Mm. So I didn't have a savings. I was a regular cop just you know, living and spending money. Um, and um, I was like, listen, if this is it, you know, I, once you retire, you can't come back. So because you're injured. Um, so I was like, if this don't work, I'll have this money coming in, but I got to find something else to do. I've given 12 years of my life. to This This is what I know. Um, and law enforcement is one of those careers that it's hard to get it out your system when you leave it. That's why mm. police officers wind up coming back. They migrate back. Mm. Um." So, yeah, um, my faith in God was strong. So I really had to rely on um, it has to work or it has to
1: work. It has to work or it has to work. Mm -hmm. Before you walked into this building, you said you were house shopping. Mm -hmm. So before you walked into this building, real estate was nowhere on your radar?
0: Never. I love structure and watches. So houses and watches.
1: Houses and watches. Mm
0: -hmm. But real estate was nowhere on my mind.
1: Where did structures like you just said it so easily? How did you know you like? Where did the love for structures and watches come from? I
0: don't know. I building watch like I like building in bridges. Just I'm fascinated with it. just mm. how they are assembled, how they're suspended in the air, how they don't fall. Like all the ingenuity that goes in
2: buildings.
1: Got you. Mm-hmm. So when you were injured, were you just kind of like living daily, and you didn't, you were just kind of like going through mm-hmm. like okay, let me get a house.
0: Yep. Yeah. Well, I was in the process of getting in the house before I got injured. So I got injured okay. during the process. Mm. So it put me out. Of, I had to learn how to almost walk again because that's the biggest tendon in your in your body. Um so I was down for 6 months.
2: Yeah.
1: For people who don't have a lot of necess- a lot of faith necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, what are some of the things that You help people understand, like when it comes to you hurting your knee Mm -hmm. and you being out of a job, you Mm -hmm. said six months, Mm -hmm. right? Before you actually knew what you were going to do. Having a strong faith, Mm -hmm. does that mean that you never doubted what your next move was going to be?
0: No, doubted a whole lot. Um, I just had a confidence that God would bring me out. Like it's... it was this abstract thing that even though I couldn't see it, I just knew that it was going to work. Like even the, I can remember being young where me and my mom didn't have food to eat and out of nowhere, this car would show up with a whole bunch of food. Um, you know, the lights were out and out of nowhere, a church member would come pick us up and we stayed with them till we got our lights back on. I mean, it was just always, a rescue story that happened. So I just knew that, okay, it, it's tough right now, but somehow it's going out.
1: And it did. Mm-hmm. So far, right? Absolutely. Man. So then you decide, you get your license in real estate mm-hmm. and you decide to start a firm. Right. Did you have a, pl- a plan to like, you know, build a firm? Not one. What was your first couple of steps then?
0: Um, So... I, agents started coming to me asking me what I was doing. Mm. Because you know, when you're when you're really doing well in the career and there's other people in the same career that are not doing as well, they want to pick your brain. Um and I started sharing with them what I was doing and what was happening, what was going on. And then I started to notice a lot of agents started coming to talk to me. Mm. Um then the idea to have a brokerage kind of popped in my head, but I didn't know enough about real estate. I knew how to write a contract and how to sell, but I didn't know enough about the laws and the liability. Mm. Um, So when I was able to get my broker's license in the state of South Carolina, you have to have three years of apprenticeship. So when I I got to my three years, I applied to be a real estate instructor because I wanted to learn everything there was to know about running a brokerage and the laws and what could get me in trouble.
1: Gotcha. you! I'm. I'm yeah. so, that's. I feel like that's when the story begins. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay, so you decide mm-hmm. you want to be an instructor, mm-hmm. and I think that's actually a really boss move. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a hack. Would you say that's And you
0: absolutely. So my
1: absolutely. thought. In, you have to tell. Okay, so my thought in the hack is actually twofold. Okay. I think that it knocks away some of the confidence issues people mm-hmm. have when they go into a new space mm-hmm. and they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But then I also think that you're you're going from you're going from cop to entrepreneur, mm-hmm. right? Nine to five to entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and you get to learn the industry like in a uh, controlled environment, right? And then, so like, kind of, you have this, like, these training wheels as an entrepreneur before you actually jump out there. That's why mm-hmm. like I think it's a hack.
0: That's the whole hack. Did I? Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: What, what do I miss? Because I think that big thinkers, I mm-hmm. think there's a, you know, before you become a big thinker, you don't you miss a lot. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm, there's a little bit that I get, but I know there's a lot that I don't get. <laughs> right. What's the part that I don't get? What is the part that, you know, in that process of you becoming an instructor? Mm-hmm. What did you learn in the journey outside of confidence and outside of like learning the game mm-hmm. that you wouldn't have gotten if you went through that process?
0: But the game is probably the biggest thing, mm-hmm. because what most realtors, they tell you. Everything you learned in real estate school, I remember um hearing it. Everything you learned in real estate school, when you get out, forget it. Mm-hmm. Because the only thing that teaches you is how to pass the test. Mm. I didn't. I actually taught it and I instructed it. And every time I have a conversation with a realtor, I would have a conversation with them from an instructor standpoint. And it was like, You just know too much. Like you you only know all that. Mm. But now I'm the owner of the largest black owned firm firm so it's like you do need to know that because that's what gives you the ability to be an agent and to be a broker in charge so it was the game it was the hack that had I not gone through that I would probably still be an agent which is good Mm -hmm. but you know um yeah
1: that's dope Mm -hmm. and for just for like you know the listener's sake when I say hack that's people think hack and they think uh you know cut the process, shorten the time, like all these things, Mm -hmm. shortcuts. Mm -hmm. People think shortcut. Mm -hmm. But how long were you an instructor?
2: Ooh,
0: a year. A year. Mm -hmm. You
1: dedicated a year to Mm -hmm. instructing and being an agent at the same time? Yes. So like you're a practitioner, you're learning the thing, and you're teaching other practitioners how to be an agent.
0: Right. My goal was to teach 350 students before walking away. So I would know repetitive of how to do it and I want up teaching over 500 students.
1: I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. I love mm-hmm. it. I'm thinking I'm thinking about a lot of different hacks now. Like <laughs> well the reason I say hack is because um getting the education that you that you need, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like under someone else's tutelage, it's expensive as an entrepreneur.
0: And I got paid to do it. <laughs>
1: you get what I right?
0: I got paid to do it and he he, the guy that that I worked for that owned school uh, he is real estate like mm-hmm. walking real estate um he gave me his entire regimen of how he taught it mm-hmm. and it it made me a monster as it pertains to that field and it, it was because i knew i so I was going against people that got a license, and all they ever did, which is nothing wrong, was just sell real estate mm mm-hmm. 20, 30, 40 years into the game, but me coming out and in two years or three years after I instructed, I was telling them stuff that they were doing wrong. Mm. And they were like, no, I've been doing this for 40 years. Ma'am, I teach real estate. It's so great to say that. Mm. (laughs) I used to love that line. Ma'am, I I teach this for a living, right? That's wrong. And then they would go research the law and come back and say, you're right. I've been doing it wrong for 30 years.
1: Yeah, And successfully, like you can make a lot of money doing it wrong. Absolutely. So I suppose like people don't necessarily even see the value in doing it right until you get it. You're like, oh, would you say there's any increase in revenue? Like once you start realizing how to do it right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was for me. Mm. I went from selling to now having 80 plus people that do it for me.
1: Because you understand how it
0: works. And I'm able to teach them how it works and how to stay away from certain liabilities that our color is not really taught. We are we produce and we work working, but we're not really taught how to protect mm-hmm. the asset in that field.
1: I got you. Got so we know the purpose and it's funny cause we started with purpose and usually we start with the vehicle mm-hmm. and then we, then we get into purpose, but mm-hmm. we know the purpose from the jump right. from your story. So the vehicle of being of real estate at this moment, um, what's it like when you become an agent, like mm-hmm. for you, like what was it like for you to become an agent and now you're interacting with people in a different way, mm-hmm. meaning you we went from correctional, correctional um, facility mm-hmm. to police officer. Mm-hmm. And now you're interacting with clients who are buying a home. Mm-hmm. How does that dynamic shift between you and people?
0: It really didn't. Because um, everybody asked the question, how do you go from that to that? Mm-hmm. Uh, murder, 30 years. Mortgage, 30 years.
1: Murder, 30 years. Mortgage,
0: 30 years. Same thing. You just switched the product.
1: <laughs> you said
0: yeah this the same the same sentence
1: let me i'm gonna try to unpack it but i don't know because this is what it's funny like having this conversation right. with you one you spent t- 10 years as an interviewer right mm-hmm. and here i am interviewing you <laughs> and it's like you give me you give me what you give me right but Sometimes I'd be like, come on, grandpa, tell me a story, <laughs> right? But, but as you say, like mortgage 30 years, mm-hmm. I also enjoy learning. Right. So this is just a, a quirk of mine. Mortgage 30 years, mm-hmm. murder 30 years. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting in an interview. Mm-hmm. I sell my soul, so to speak. And through that, through me, like being able to like release and tell you my, my true heart's desire slash demons. hmm. You sell me a trip, 30 year trip down the road. <laughs> right? Seriously. And so, as a real estate agent, I'm like, I want this in a home. Mm-hmm. I want this for my family. Mm-hmm. Maybe I get a little bit personal with you. Mm-hmm. I tell you a little bit about my deep, darkest secrets and what My financial I- woes
0: and things Ooh, I didn't do well.
1: Fi- Let's get into right. it. And so, now mm-hmm. by me truly telling you what the business is, mm-hmm. you get to sell me a 30 year market. Right let's get into that part. Cause I didn't realize I'm glad I'm glad I, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to ask that. Right. So right. what is the process of getting people to understand, like to divulge what their financial situation is?
0: It's very tough. You have to, that's why I love having that law enforcement background. I think that's the upper hand that I have on a lot of people mm. is having to talk to somebody in a very dark place with murder or some crime that can send them down the road and then having somebody that didn't have financial literacy, um, that's very sensitive to them Mm -hmm. and that speaks to their manhood or how they feel about themselves because money is very vulnerable. So when you have the ability to, Hey, we all have made mistakes, but let me help you. We've all done that. And I tell people my personal story. I was homeless. I lived in a truck as a police officer. And I tell that story and I let them understand you can bounce back from it no matter what happened. And this is the reward for you going down this path and choosing to do things the right way. Mm.
1: Yeah. So as a real estate, like I feel like this is so much bigger than real estate. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, because for people who are going through this, they go to a realtor. Mm hmm. And they're not able to get their home, one, because they don't feel comfortable mm-hmm. with the agent. Mm-hmm. And then, two, the agent can't help you. Mm-hmm. Even And maybe they could if they had the skill. And if they don't have the skill, then mm-hmm. they still can't help you, even All if right. you share that. Right. What was the first situation for you um, where you realized you had the key, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. to, like, helping someone get to that level in their life?
0: Um, so the loan officer that really groomed me to be a great real estate agent because I didn't take the traditional route. Mm. Most real estate agents go hire a real estate agent to show them the ropes.
2: Mm.
0: I hired a mortgage lender to show me the ropes because I wanted to know where the problems was, why loans, why people couldn't get houses. 80% is a loan. Mm -hmm. So when I figure out how to structure or, present a person to a bank or to the lender, then I solve 80% of my problems. The other 20 is the contract. Okay. I can learn that. You can show a person how to write a contract. You can show a person how to uh, tell hickory from, oh, you can show them granite from quartz, but how do you get them to have a decent qualifying profile to the bank?
1: I'm I'm extremely passionate about helping corporate professionals transition into entrepreneurship. So I had to share the one thing, the number one thing that helped me develop as an entrepreneur, and that's the morning meetup. I joined the morning meetup specifically for the structure because I'm, I'm leaving corporate America, so I'm used to those morning huddles. We got our sales, we know what our goals are, and we get our day started. So I was missing that for two years before I even found the morning meetup. Now, the second thing that I really, really benefited from was the revenue. Revenue generating activities was not necessarily a thing before 2021. Now I had my LLC, I had my website, I had a few clients here and there, but the momentum really took off as soon as I got around like-minded individuals and people who really knew the struggles that I was already dealing with, that I could get over my fear of sales and communicating my value and putting myself out there on social media. The friends that I've developed, the mentors and the mentees that I've, that I've created relationships with. Everything has really created this environment for us to thrive as entrepreneurs. So if you want to develop as an entrepreneur, you're leaving corporate America and you're trying to figure out how do I get my footing in entrepreneurship, then the morning meetup will definitely be a game changer for you. You can learn with us. You can grow with us. And I didn't even mention that we have a book club. Join us in the community. Let's get started today. You will not regret it.
0: And that's who I implored the lender. So he showed me how to fix credit hacks, what the bank is looking for, the difference between perfect credit and approving credit. Mm -hmm. So once I learned that now I have to learn how to convey this message to the consumer, where they're going to be okay. So what I started doing was selling hope no matter what I saw on the screen, my face never changed. So when I pulled your credit through my software program or through the program we used, if I saw something that would really take two years, oh, I can get that done. Now, there's no—I had a slogan. There's nobody that's not pre-approved. It's just how much are you willing to commit?
1: In terms of the two years, you mean?
0: Right. So that was my slogan. There, I, I did a commercial, cheesy commercial. Mm. It was—it was so cheesy. It was—I may not be the chauffeur, but I can get you home. This little white cheesy limousine robot screen it was so cheesy right <laughs> but yeah. uh but it, it got the job done mm-hmm. but what i would tell them everybody is pre-approved it's just how much are you willing to do the work so that's what i would sell i would sell hope because that's out of ten they had already been to another realtor that told them no mm-hmm. but i was the the last stop and the yes mm-hmm. so whatever i saw on the screen i didn't allow it to change my face or my actions I can get it done. Here's what it's going to take for you to get it done.
1: And that is time, attention work, to detail, okay, attention.
0: budgeting, um, um, mm. planning, um, mindset shifting.
1: Mm. A
0: lot of what I did was telling people they deserve the house
1: Got you. because
0: a lot of people didn't think they deserve the house. And when I there was a person that the bank told them, come back in two years. I had them in a the home in 91 days,
1: 91 days.
0: That's when I realized I had the mojo.
1: Okay, (laughs) talk about (laughs) mojo. Yeah, because I'm thinking, at first I was thinking, okay, so you work with the client for two years Mm -hmm. and you get them to a point where they're ready to to qualify for a loan. Mm -hmm. But what you do is take what they would have to do in two years and break it down to 91 days. And they have to be diligent about their personal growth, Mm -hmm. it sounds like. Mm -hmm. It it, it doesn't even sound like, it it sounds like they get a home, but they get a, a new person
0: right that's, In the that's exactly what happened. And I started focusing on changing people's perception about what they deserve mm. instead of how many closings I could go to. Mm. So what happened was so I started a company called Money Smart University and Money Smart University was an entity that showed you how to budget, showed you credit and showed you what the banks were looking for. So I stopped trying to sell houses. And I said, I'm gonna build my pipeline of people that understand financial literacy. And when I looked up in six months, I couldn't even take on new clients because I was born so many closings.
1: Jeez. And that's what I did. Taking your eye off the, and you know, David talks about this all the time, taking your eye off of the goal, not, not looking at the shot clock all the time. Right. And focusing on the process. Right. And your process was helping people get to that financial freedom. Absolutely. Can I you a technical question? Sure. What are the banks looking for?
0: Um, so there's guidelines. So when a bank is looking at a, a person to qualify, they're looking at debt to income.
2: Hmm.
0: Um, they're looking at credit uh, score, hmm. and they're looking at um, how much you make. So which is debt to income. Um, the third thing is how well you've handled your bills. Okay. So the, they're just looking for a person that meets those criteria. To be honest with you, credit scores is not what banks are looking for. Mm. You there's there's no loan that demands a credit score. That's what the investors put on to make it safe to lend and to reduce the risk. Okay. So if I'm if I'm a multi billionaire and I want to use my money to fund loans. These are the criteria I'm going to loan on. 620, been on the job two years, um, has this amount of money in the bank, filed their taxes and made this much.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So honestly, technically, all loans are available to all people. But the people that hold the money put what they call compounding overlays on the money to make the risk safer.
1: Got you. So they pad pad the requirements. Mm -hmm. So then for so so i i bought my home when i was 25
0: unheard of in our field most of the time
1: really mm-hmm. cuz i was going to ask you about the you know the type of client that you work with mm-hmm. um, i think so and i'm trying to understand like where the gap might be mm-hmm. so i want to ask you where the gap is mm-hmm. and i'm thinking about my own experience so mm-hmm. I, honestly and truly that's where the question is coming from mm-hmm. i had a finance degree but I don't think I knew very much about finance I honestly right. truly when I right. graduated um and I had a, a corporate job right so you, I'm making 70 no, i my not probably 65 at the time right. my score was good and so the process of me getting a home I don't know if I learned anything because it was so easy mm-hmm. I honestly this is me this is an opinion and I'll ask a question but I honestly right. think that a person who has to go through the hoops Learns a little bit more along yes. the process. Yes. um and becomes a, a better person through like getting that, which mm-hmm. is just something I'm, I'm noticing in this conversation. Yes. what is the gap that a lot of people that you work with have to go through to make some of those requirements? Right? Mm-hmm. Do you get what I'm saying? Like to
0: it, to the financial literacy that they have to go through. Yeah, like to, oh, God. when they
1: come, you know, is it is it like a trifecta? My credit score is not good. Debt to income, income rest or have all three?
0: No, have to go through financial literacy before they can even buy.
1: And with the financial literacy, do most people need all three or do you find that? All three. All three. All three. Is income ever like not the issue and then you just got to like get these because like do you have high earners who have all these other like measures messed up?
0: Now you do, because everybody got 20833 in the last 24 months.
2: Oh. Um. <laughs> <But, laughs> right.
0: But no, you, before it was um, simply because inflation kept going up, prices of houses kept increasing. Mm-hmm. Most, most, the biggest thing that repeats itself is credit. Okay.
2: The
0: biggest thing. If, gotcha. Yeah, it's credit. Because you, you have, you make the money. Um, it's just that a lot of times they've abused the credit, mm-hmm. um, to the point that, you know, you yeah, know, mm.
1: yeah. so you got to teach them. You do. Mm, Okay. Mm-hmm. And so now that you're teaching it, um, you've been doing this, you've been doing this for how long would you say real estate at this point? Seven years, seven years. Mm-hmm. And now you've seen how many like transformations would you say?
0: Transformations.
1: Yeah. Clients like closings.
0: Oh God. In seven years? Yeah. I have no clue. Really? I, you
1: don't keep track of that number?
0: Oh, company numbers, Um, oh yeah, well over, well over 2,000.
1: 2,000 people mm-hmm. transforming their lives? Mm-hmm. And would you say all of them kind of require a certain level of like financial literacy or would you say like there's a percentage that just kind of walk in and walk out?
0: To be honest with you, the younger generation is needing less and less help. Mm. They're preserving their credit. They're saving money. um, And they they're finding that good job early. Yeah. Yeah. Where my parents and beyond, Mm -hmm. they they didn't use credit for anything. Mm -hmm. Um, They had a lot of. Title loans on their credit so the credit was kind of already ruined so yeah
1: mm. would you say that that's why why you feel like why you now have more time to teach more about like purpose and lessons and mm-hmm. job and things like that as opposed to spending a lot of your time with the financial literacy because again earlier we said your your target is like Millennials mm-hmm. right and if more of us are starting to learn how to spend our money mm-hmm. Now we need to learn how to think about living our lives. Uh-huh. Is that how you see it?
0: Absolutely. And learning to invest beyond the house. But yeah.
1: Learn how to invest beyond the house. What do you mm-hmm. mean by that?
0: So investment is a great thing. The house is a great thing. But then what else is out there that you can invest in? So yeah, teaching that aspect. You know? mm-hmm. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
1: like, what are you doing in this in this next phase of your life where you know people need the education Mm -hmm. you're still are you still going to be a practitioner absolutely so like what's your idea around financial literacy and how you want to go about doing it now
0: so i i want to um one of my goals is and i want to start in my hometown and then where i actually have the business is to create a curriculum for high schools um, to where they will have it as an elective Um, And then we sponsor scholarships for 10 to 20 students a year, pay for them to go. And then immediately they have job placement with my company anywhere in the state. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll offer that. So um, I think that will definitely um, be a a perpetuating thing that they do in the school system because they're not teaching finances.
2: Um,
0: You know, um, so, yeah, have that in there for them. And if they want to have a real estate career, they can. But we're getting them the budgeting, their financial literacy and all the other stuff that comes with it, credit. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's one way. Um, and then, you know, one-on-ones, group sessions that I still do now.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You said that they're not teaching financial literacy. Um, buying a home is probably, do, do they still say this in the financial literacy space, literacy space but if buying a home is one of your biggest purchases you'll ever make in yes, your life?
2: absolutely.
1: Even for a multimillionaire, yes. would you say like buying your home is still... One of the biggest purchases you'll make in your life?
0: I would say, yeah, because it not only if it, because it's the only investment you can live in.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm. It's the
0: only investment you can live in, mm. so it, it provides it provides physical shelter and uh, financial shelter. So it's still the biggest investment you're ever gonna make. I got it, I got
1: Mm -hmm. it. I love it, I love it. Hey guys, it's Ariel from the Work and Play podcast. If you're getting any value from this channel, and I mean anything from the tutorials to the podcast, to the random videos that you see on this channel, then I just ask that you do one thing, please subscribe. Subscribe and share this to anyone that you think this resonates with, and drop a comment below so I know what other things that you wanna see next. Now let's get back to the episode. So are you offering a specific, like, do you have coaching, um, one-on-one coaching, group mm-hmm. coaching? Do you have a specific program that people can tap into? I do. What's
0: your um, program
1: called?
0: My pulpit is different community. So um, um, that's my community that I have, but the actual program is just a business coaching program. It's called Replicated. Mm. Um, so uh, the instructions was to make disciples right
1: yes yes <laughs>
0: so it's not just disciples that dissect the word of god but i think they're business disciples jesus turned the world upside down with 12 businessmen tax collector fishermen mm-hmm. physicians all those people mm-hmm. so i want to replicate what i've done in the business world um, and then show people how to do what it is that i do so i offer replicated it, in this a Um, three-day course that I show you how to structure the business, how to get it off the ground and how to make it work. And the key component is to not try to get to 30,000 feet, but get to, or stay at 5,000 feet because my biggest mistake was growing too fast. Mm. So enjoy the space at at 5,000 feet. So when you get to 30,000, you don't have to descend.
1: I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. So that, the course is actually available. And for the listeners, I'm just going to ask, like, for those of my listeners who are trying to, you know, go into real estate, I think this is a safer way to go about it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I learned a little bit about the the wealth triangle and how, like, people who go from corporate, they just want to jump into buying their first home. And they want to get that first, you know, investment property, and they kind of figure it out on their, on their, along their way. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like this would be a really good way to, like, get get into the industry, learn in a foundational type way, and then also the community, you said that's the community. The community is essentially like where we learn the most. We've learned a lot about communities being in the same community with each other. So like, could we offer this to, like, my my community, my listeners? Absolutely. Like, absolutely. Okay, gotcha. So there will be a link in yeah. the... I'm, sometimes I forget. I swear sometimes, yeah. I forget, I forget. But then again, I remember that we can put a link at the bottom. We can. Want to do, like, a code or, like, a work, work and play? Yeah,
0: we'll put... Um, let's do... Uh, give me the code. We'll
1: make it work. Okay, we'll do work and play. Okay. And so those of you guys who are interested in making a transition mm-hmm. into, into entrepreneurship, but real estate specifically... Mm-hmm. You're looking at houses. You're trying to invest in these places. Do it safely. Mm -hmm. And do it with a mentor. Like, we've had people on the podcast Mm -hmm. who talk to, like, the intricacies of going into real estate Mm -hmm. on your own and getting that license. And then having to find a mentor. And Mm -hmm. then trying to figure it out on your own. Right. And while the hack is not to, like... You know circumvent these this right. process of finding the people that you need right the hack is to learn from the people who know mm-hmm. what they're talking about right now Absolutely. do you specifically um are you worldwide i'm not worldwide but national and worldwide or do you focus on your city only folks in atlanta <sighs> oh no no where, no, no Where are your students?
0: For, all over all over yeah. um i have um so my in my community is all over like because so I was in my state um, and then, you know, everybody else, you grasp the attention quick in my field when you're black because Mm. there's not a lot of us that's doing it on a professional level like that. Think about it. In the last seven years, could you name one black realtor in the last seven years or 10 years ago? But now... On a large
1: scale? No.
0: They're by the groves. Mm -hmm. So. Um, I was the first person in my state to put myself on a billboard. Mm. And after that, now it just opened the floodgates. So people, when I first started, after my third year, I was getting calls from people from Texas um, that was watching me, calls from people from D.C., from North Carolina that was watching me and saying, you're inspiring what I'm doing, and I just got into real estate, and what are you doing, and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. It reaches. Amazing.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's really dope that you're creating an ecosystem for people to come into mm-hmm. and be able to like be supported in this space. Right. Because I hate to hear like, you know, people who make their exit strategy mm-hmm. real estate and they don't do their due diligence like you did. Right. They don't. And I think that there is something to say about getting your own bumps and bruises, but I also think that there's something to say about learning from other people's bumps Absolutely. and
2: bruises. Absolutely. So I
1: would love to just offer that to my community. And I really enjoy like talking to you. Thank it's you. been super like calming. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. uh this the conversation is very intentional. Mm-hmm. Um you're very like precise in the way you answer mm-hmm. and you're super serious. But the fact that, like you know, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna try it again. But um, I know all, all. I remember firm, and I remember fair. Mm-hmm. The first one is firm, firm, fair, fair, consistent, consistent. Mm-hmm. With you having these values, uh-huh. right? And This is the work and play podcast. Got it. What does play look like for you?
0: So I love boating.
1: Boating. Oh, I love it. It's like, such a calm
0: sport. It, but it's so it is. It's so relaxing. Um, um, yeah, I love boating. Like I was watching the temperature on the ride up here. It's gonna be seventy nine, eighty, and eighty two Tuesday Wednesday, and Thursday. Ooh. So they're not gonna, they're not gonna see me. Like they're not gonna see me. let like, play. Yeah, let's play. Um, four wheeling, road trips. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, just yeah.
1: I got you. Yeah. Do you believe that? um, you know, some people say work hard, play hard, right?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I believe that my goal is somehow to mesh the work and play at the same time. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that those two can live, um, you know, cohabitate in the same space or do you like to delineate work and play?
0: No, I love that word. Absolutely. Uh, no, you have, you have to have balance. Yeah. You have to have balance. Yeah. Mm, So so I'm, I'm just learning to play honestly um it wasn't something and vacation i um i i put a um about six months ago i put three places in a hat it was london dubai and hawaii and it was a tuesday and i had to be in one of those places by friday so i put it in a hat and i picked hawaii so i flew to hawaii just on a whim
1: i love that i really love that it is nice. which was part of hawaii
0: honolulu yep yeah waikiki beach the big island
1: yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that's just enough to dip your toe in it. But when you start doing, I haven't gone to any of the secluded islands, but mm-hmm. like when you start doing the secluded islands,
0: right. you know, yeah. then you get to
1: see other things. Like Honolulu is mm-hmm. kind of like the city, but right. you still get the beautiful
0: beach. It so the weather. Nice. It's so nice. So I'm going to Maldives this year. So I'm, I'm
1: excited about that. Have fun. Yeah, yeah, I want so. you to enjoy yourself. Right, right. It seems like you don't, but I have a feeling. <laughs> I'm a clown. I'm really a clown.
0: Yeah. I'm really clown, but, you know, in the right, place. Yeah. In the right yeah. place. I'm a clown.
1: Well, those of you guys who uh, who have watched, I think that they've enjoyed uh, so. hearing your story. Um, I certainly have. Thank you. Thank you for and having me. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you so yeah. much. For those who are um, watching and listening mm-hmm. and they are um, on their journey, you know, what, what I get from you is the tough part of your story happened very early. Right. And some people are going through their tough part right now. Mm-hmm. So if you would speak to anyone on their journey, specifically, you know, someone who's trying to leave their their job and, to, mm-hmm. and at the same time they're trying to leave their job and trying to get a house at the same time, right? faith might or might not be as strong. Mm-hmm. What is it that you would say to that person? To help them make their transition
0: um just just keep keep the end goal in mind we're going to be distracted right things are going to happen to get us off course when you're on track is forward moving is going forward, just stay the course um, and I still believe that even no matter when my back is against the wall my on my back, I just still believe that it's going to work out mm. I'm just keeping that belief um, there was a there was a, a interview that uh, I had the privilege of being a part of, and it was a police officer that was shot probably eight nine times, and they asked him, "How did you survive?" And he said, after the first bullet, I purposed in my mind that I was gonna make it out. Mm -hmm. And that lets you know, your mind has the ability to change science. Your mind has the ability to change health. Your mind has the ability to change a deadly situation. So if you stay focused, keep yourself in a survivor's mentality because they comfort victims, but they give survivors the mic. Right. So if you're going to tell the story, you have to survive. So I took from that, no matter what's happened, no matter if you're injured, no matter if you're bleeding or whatever's going on, if you have in your mindset that I'm going to survive, then after the splash you can be okay.
1: <laughs> they comfort victims. Right. They give survivors the mic. Absolutely. If you don't if you need anything else after that, I don't know what else we have to give so on that note i'm gonna say you guys know what to do to go out and be great you have heard it from the man's mouth himself and i think your journey definitely speaks to those who are on their journey whether they're in corporate Mm -hmm. or not in the nine to five they like or hate Mm -hmm. whether it's life threatening or not just some of the values that you've given us Mm -hmm. definitely can take and be successful with that so Again, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank y'all for listening. Thank you for watching. Until next time, peace out.